Hey guys, it's Isaiah here and Ike from Music Ship Hosting. <laughs> and this is the Baz podcast. What, what are we supposed to say? Let me, okay. I'll say Isaiah and then you say Ike from Music Ship Hosting. We got this this time. Hey guys, it's Isaiah here. And Ike from Music Ship Hosting, and you're listening to the Baz Reviews Bazcast. <laughs> Well, hello, everyone, to whenever and wherever you're listening. This is Baz from Baz Reviews, the best place to discover cool music. Episode number 22 today, we've got a two-parter, and starting it off, no introduction needed for one of the funniest group of gentlemen on Instagram, Ike and Isaiah from Music Shitposting. How are you guys doing today? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, hope all is well with you guys, especially out there in Denver. I'm uh, seeing the weather there. It's definitely uh, been tough going from hot to cold and then back to like middle of the road. Yeah, it's weird. I, it's, yeah, I mean, it's to be expected that it's Colorado. It's very right. unexpected. Yeah. The weather Especially, here is so much lately. <laughs> right, yeah. It's always like, it always snows early there. Usually like October is first snowfall, right? Yeah, it feels, well, it snowed a couple of days ago, which was insane. There's like a giant snowstorm. And it was it was right after all these wildfires made the sky all smoky and shit. So are you guys getting that there too? Like the, the like the crazy skies? We mm-hmm. were yeah. a couple of days ago. Um, it's kind of back to normal now, but it was it was really weird. There was smoke and snow everywhere, and summer just ended. You know, it was just it was so trippy. Right. Yeah. It was funny because I saw um, on this Instagram page called Cinema Magic, like somebody made a comparison to like Blade Runner, how it kind of looks like that orangey sky. Yeah, it is. It's kind of cool, though. At the same time, it's like very interesting atmosphere. Right. Something we're not used to. Yeah. Well, it's not something you see every day. It's um, you definitely want to keep all those people out in the West Coast in your thoughts. It's definitely tough for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's very serious. It's kind of scary. Yep. Feels like the world's ending. <laughs> exactly. Um, but first getting into the questions here, obviously I'm assuming you guys are very close, but like how did you guys first meet each other? Um we met in high school. Uh I think we both we just were both into vaporwave at the time. So we just kind of started talking about that. And and yeah, and then I Ike honestly got me into most of the music I I'm into now. Um, we just, yeah, we bonded over music and yeah, we've been friends for, I think like five years. Yeah. Five or six. Yeah. And then we've lived in an apartment together too. Yeah. So, I mean, we pretty much just had one thing in common, which is music. Um, and then when I made the music ship hosting page, I kind of, I kind of just made it as a place to dump all the music memes I had on my phone. But then it, it got so popular and I, I mean, I had to, I had to get Ike on board, you know, he's, he's probably, probably the only one I trust with the page. <laughs> so we have yeah. similar tastes. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, th- like you were saying there, Isaiah, like the page is absolutely blown up. You guys are almost at a hundred thousand followers. Like how have you guys reacted to the success you've had? And like, what are some of the best and worst things to come of all that success? <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of fucked. Oh, me and uh, Isaiah have talked about this last night. It's like really weird seeing 
how much it's grown and how like we're almost at 100k i never would have thought that we would ever get there um but i don't know we, we've had a lot of highlights like with um certain like anthony fantano sharing our content right. quite a lot um and low lights i mean sometimes we, we've had a, a couple of tiffs with a, a couple of beefs with different instagram pages um yeah and um yeah also like uh a lot of backlash we got uh for getting really political um, on the page on the stories but like it doesn't truly matter that much because we keep growing and growing <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're just taking cool. as it comes cool. so yeah no that's definitely fair um and i mean especially now you guys kind of have the platform to you know say what you want right but as you were saying, Ike, you know, you, you still have that chance to keep growing and growing and growing because people are interacting with the content and you guys are definitely going to go up from here. I can, <laughs> I can, I can see it in the headlines. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll reach hundred K pretty soon before the end of the year. I, th- I think you will. I mean, it's September. Like you got, like I checked like a couple weeks ago, you were at like 95, 96. So I think it's definitely plausible to get hundred K by the end of the year. Definitely. Yeah. And a lot of our, uh, like posts have a lot of interaction like a lot of people commenting and that helps us in the algorithm like we don't use hashtags or anything which kind of goes against us i I used to use hashtags when i first started the page but i don't know and then then i think after anthony fantano knows us we just kind of got rid of the hashtags because we had like that was when we got a solid fan base of like ten thousand people Mm. and then after that it just kind of snowballed you know into what it is now yeah. Which we're super grateful for. Yeah. Um, what's like the significance behind like the page's name though? Music shit posting. I mean, as obvious <laughs> as that sounds, but yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty much just exactly how it sounds. We just shit post about music. <laughs> right. Like I'm not a very creative person when it comes to naming things. So, you know, I, I had a shit posting page that was music themed. So that's what I came up with. It's a great it, name. It sticks though. It's a right. good name. Like, I, I feel the same way, though, Isaiah. It's just, it's really tough. It's like the name, like, at the same time, it means so much, but it can also mean so little, you know? Like, you put yeah. so much time into it, and then you just come out with the most simple name, you know? Right, yeah. Like, especially making music, for me, that's the hardest part, just coming up with names. When half the time, I just choose a random word that sounds cool, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but tell me a little bit more about that, Isaiah, your um, solo music career as a wave shine. Oh yeah, so I so I had a, a kind of a music career before that, um, back in like 2014, 2015. Uh, but back then I made much different music. I was more into like EDM and shit mm-hmm. uh, in high school. <laughs> but it was pretty cool. I, I got some success off of that. Like uh, one of my remixes was at, I, I think 750,000 before I took it down. Oh, damn. Um, so it's like, after all those years of kind of having that music career, it, it's weird to transition into the music that I'm making now. Uh, but I'm, I'm much more proud of the music I'm making now. And I'm, I have a lot of tracks that I'm planning to drop very soon. That's exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. I just like making really atmospheric and uh, hip hop, you know. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 
Um, but to the both of you guys here, it's an open-ended question, but, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of the incredible concerts you guys have um, been able to be at, um, you know, Ween, Flying Lotus, Earl Sweatshirt, like what have been some of the other, like, you know, some of your favorite concert memories that, um, that you've ever seen? Oh, um, I, uh, before the page and everything in high school, I had, I have this crazy story about this. Uh, I, I saw Swans live. Um, I was originally supposed to go with my stepbrother and instead I took my mom because he like um, flaked out and uh, my mom was sick and she had never listened to Swans before and we got to the venue and there was like neo-Nazis there and, uh, <laughs> and like she was not vibing with the music at all but it was still that's probably the best concert I've ever been to like Michael Jira was like doing some weird chants for like 20 minutes and they started they started the set with like five minutes of harsh noise and it was just insane it was like nothing i've ever seen before um <laughs> but it makes for an interesting story and like after uh the concert ended my mom was like that was satanic like i don't understand how you can like this kind of music <laughs> that's too funny that's the point <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think uh my i think the best concert i've been to still is the flying lotus concert um i mean it was just insane because he had these 3d visuals uh and they gave everyone 3d glasses and i also i, I dropped acid before the show and it was it was just like the trippiest thing i've ever fucking experienced that, that and sounds Flylo, like it yeah <laughs> and Flylo was was dope too he had a keyboard and everything and he was he was making all the the music and improvising over it it was it was it was a great time. Yeah, and I think Flying Lotus is just one of those incredible producers. Not only like with his visual game, but you know, m musically, he's one of like the most creative and you know fresh minds that I've seen in quite a bit of time. Yeah, for sure. He's just one of those. Just his whole aesthetic is just so. Uh, I, I can't find the word for it right now, but it, it just all it's it's perfect. <laughs> I love his aesthetic and his sound, and. His production just blows my mind. Yeah, absolutely. What's your um, favorite record from him? Uh, it used to be when when Flamagra came out. That was my. I thought that was a ten, but hmm. recently it's kind of gone down. And now now it's actually probably Los Angeles. Uh, it's a type okay. between Los Angeles and Cosmogramma, but Los okay. Angeles just gives me a lot of beat making inspiration. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Flamagra, it wasn't like my favorite on a first listen. It felt like kind of long and drawn out. I think mm -hmm. my favorite from him is um, You're Dead. I think that's a great record. That one's amazing too. Yeah. Like I think because not only can he like, that, that was kind of like the first time that he started like featuring artists on projects. And I think that opened up like a whole new like space for him to be creative and bring right. his like talents and like, you know, get other artists on board to help him do that exactly yeah yeah he he really he just had like this whole jazz ensemble and it, it really i don't know the ideas just really shine through on that album like just the amalgamation of jazz and electronic and hip-hop right. and psychedelia yeah it's great exactly. um, yeah um but a question here for ike it seems like you're a, a big retro gamer I've, I've seen you um you know playing <laughs> melee uh, you know a lot of n64 merch there but um you know what are some of your like favorite games from like you know your past that you still play today and you know are still close to your heart 
You know, like right before this interview, I was playing Sonic Adventure 2 on my PS3. Oh, yeah. uh, I love that game so much, um, especially the versus mode. And I think a lot of people hate it <laughs> versus mode because it's so unbalanced, but <laughs> it's still like a, a lot of fun. Also, uh, like a lot of skateboarding games as well. Like uh, Tony Hawk um, recently had the re-release of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Um, I remember playing all the underground games growing up and um i wanted to download that game but uh my ps4 just shat itself factory reset so i'm not <laughs> i can't play it right now but um uh what else have i played when i was younger um uh, a lot of legend of zelda too like majora's mask and Orchid of time like i've always been a huge nintendo fanboy um Hell gamecube's yeah. still like my top console i also like the dreamcast a lot as well so yeah, it's a bummer the Dreamcast, you know, didn't grow as much as it did because at the time it was such a revolutionary system. I feel like Sega had that for, a, you know, a long period of time. They were the first to kind of come to the market with like the, the portable gaming system, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Game Gear. And then obviously the first like real, you know, 3D system with uh, the Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah. And they even had the Saturn too, which was... 32-bit, um... right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that never caught on either. Uh, and it's it really is too bad that the, the Dreamcast never shined. And I think it really deserved it, too. I mean, there's so many good games on that. Con like Shenmue was like something completely different, like way ahead of its time. Um, it still has a pretty good legacy and like a hardcore fan base, cultic fan base, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Just they're so expensive to like buy. Yeah. I mean, the retro gaming market is like gotten really overpriced, but it's good for collectors. And um, yeah. Yeah. I still wish I had my Dreamcast. I have no idea where that went. <laughs> I never sold it or anything, but uh, I had a bunch of great games on there. Played a lot of NBA <laughs> back in the day. So. Yeah, but um, switching over here to like the music side, I just wanted to hear like about some of your favorite artists, genres, and albums out there. Like not only now, but just of all time, I was peeking through your um, you know top one hundred lists, and it seems like you guys have um, a very varied taste in uh, music. It's very uh, eclectic. That's that's for damn sure. Um, <laughs> right. Recently, I've been getting into like dub and like uh, old um, like funk reggae and synth based reggae. So I think that's a pretty underrated genre. And there's a lot of good stuff to find in there. I, I, probably my favorite genre, I don't know, fucking like post-punk something. Like I, I always go back to Sonic Youth and hard-hitting bands like that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I think uh, my, my biggest genres right now are psychedelia, just overall, anything psychedelic. <laughs> and uh instrumental hip-hop too i think just psychedelia is so interesting to me because it's hard it's a hard genre to define but artists like animal collective ween uh like even cock two twins and beach house like i don't know that's that's just the stuff that really resonates with me because it's i don't even know how to describe it but <laughs> i just i love trippy music that's like what defines my music taste, I think. Just yeah. any anything that's like creative and trippy. <laughs> that's totally fair. And it, it's interesting that you brought that up. There's like no real definition for psychedelia because yeah. it's, it's evolved so much over the past 50 years and it's kind of taken on its own life. 
Yeah, it's it's really weird. Like, I don't know how to tell people I'm into psychedelic music because that's just such a huge umbrella term. But, um, you know, just stuff like dream pop and shoegaze. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and instrumental hip hop, really. I think the reason I listen to so much instrumental hip hop is because being a producer, it just gives me a lot of inspiration. Um, and when those two genres are combined, it's like my favorite thing. You know, like Boards of Canada, Music Has the Right to Children. That's like my favorite album ever because it's it's so psychedelic, but it's it still has the beat music roots, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what are some of your other like big influences for the way that you make music now, especially on the instrumental hip hop side? There's so many to choose um, from. Definitely. So Boards of Canada would be number one. Uh, another one would be Hong Kong Express. Uh, he's a vaporwave artist, um, but he kind of incorporates a hip hop influence, uh, just really hazy, dreamlike instrumental hip hop. Um, and also, of course, Clams Casino and other cloud rap producers. And even even I would say like I take influence from shoegaze and stuff, too, because I like to put just a shit ton of effects on my music, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Um, but also, you know, you guys not only are um, big music fans, but I've also seen that you guys are also um, really into film. Like, what are some of your favorite genres, um, some of your favorite films as well? Like- um, surrealism, for yeah. sure. I, yeah, yeah, we're both like- surrealism. <laughs> David, David Lynch. Lynch. I would say he's probably both of our favorite directors. Um, he just, because I've always been really fascinated by dreams and psychology in general. And Lynch's work kind of explores that in, in a way that I've never seen before in any medium of art. You know, it's it's really mind-blowing what he does. Just makes you dive into your subconscious mind. Um, but other than David Lynch, uh, I don't know, what are some of your favorite directors like? Uh, recently, like, uh, um, like Trent Harris, uh, he's like a Salt Lake City filmmaker. Um, all of his films have just a very interesting and just unique structure. Like he's got this uh, film called The Beaver Trilogy um, that is just vastly different than like anything that any other filmmaker's done. It's like just an excerpts of different films about the same exact plot and same characters. And the very first portion of that film is like actually a documentary that he did on a random kid from a small town in Utah called Beaver. Um, and like, uh, I don't know, I've, I've been getting, cause recently Charlie Kaufman came out with a movie. I've been uh, kind of going back to his films um, a little bit like Synecdoche. I, I really like, and like, I think his films are like, I guess, because a lot of people would describe him as like a, a depressing filmmaker um, or touching up on sadness, but I think it's more of just like coming of age films and like uh, cautionary tales on aging and regret and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that new Charlie Kaufman film was was interesting. I watched it last night and I liked it. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't want to spoil anything on this podcast, but... I thought it it went into places that I did not expect it to go <laughs> and it kind of threw me off guard so I don't I don't uh know what to think after I first watched it but I've been thinking about it all day today. It's a it's a good film. I know uh, you got some opinions on uh, yeah. that film as well, Baz. 
Um, yeah, Ike, as you know, I reached out to you. I think that was actually going to be one of my hot takes for the episode was that, you know, I'm thinking of Ending Things is one of the most overrated films of 2020. The reason why, look, and Ike, you brought it up great. I love Charlie Kaufman. I love what, where he goes um, as a filmmaker. But this film, I, I don't, I'm besides myself. I didn't even finish it. It was that bad. Really? Really? Yes. Were you bored? Uh, yeah, I was like... Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa, both of his other directorial features, at least they have characters that you can care about and relate to in some way. And <laughs> to your point, with a cautionary tale of aging and a tale of regret, right? It's like yeah. in Synecdoche, you know, Caden spends his whole life just working on one play. And it's like, you know, that kind of relates to maybe us in a sense, right? We spend our whole lives just trying to work on one thing, one giant overall thing. Fixation, you know. Right, exactly. And in Anomalisa, to some extent, I was talking with Isaiah before the interview about this. It's interesting because it tells a tale of like a guy who's like really depressed, just like isn't happy with his life. And it's, it's one guy, it's the dad from I'm Thinking of Ending Things. He plays the main character in Anomalisa. Okay. And he sees every person as the same. Like, it's literally, like, the same voice actor playing, like, 25 different characters. Yeah, it's an animated film, right? Yeah, stop motion. Um, But then he meets this, like, woman who is, like, young and new and exciting in his life, and it's voiced by somebody else that's not playing the other 25 characters. So I thought it was just kind of an interesting commentary on, like, relationships and, you know, all of that kind of jazz, like, how we interpret people and memories and, you know, what we want in life. You see, I think that... I'm thinking about ending things kind of touches on the the same sort of topics, you know, like just kind of um, imagination and like kind of like putting yourself in a perspective of what your ideal woman or man or like relationship should be, but like not actually having that come to fruition because of like personal demons or like, like issues with yourself and, um, that get in the way of uh, what your idealized relationship would be. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah, um, I think that's a good yeah. point. I just think the way it was executed was just not as good as it could have been. Personally, yeah. I think that. I, I've seen I, it four times now, and I do think that there are a few uh, a few scenes that do drag on a little bit, especially like with the car scenes. Um, yes, like that. Co- like I don't need to sit there and hear like the main characters talk about John Cassavetes films for like 20 minutes. That's like not important at all. <laughs> and then right? like, was- I could have watched that on YouTube and gotten that information in about 10 or 15 minutes. I see your point for sure. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I actually thought it was re- very relatable. Um, Cause I, I kind of saw it as twist kind of at the end. So that's what kind of threw me off. But at first I, I was really relating to it because it's kind of just, showing what it feels like to be in a relationship that you, you know, are kind of stuck in, right. but for whatever reason, you don't want to end it or you're, you just can't end it. Um, so I, I thought it was really relatable and it hit, it hit pretty hard at certain points. The only thing I, I had kind of a problem with was some of the dialogue was just super pretentious, which is kind of a running theme with Charlie Kaufman films of notice, but I don't know. Some some of the dialogue is just a little pretentious, <laughs> but I think that's a it fair is take. cool. It's like one long slam poet, kind of, you know. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, but going back to what you were saying, you know, earlier about like some of your favorite directors, the only David Lynch film I've seen is Blue Velvet. And that was like one, oh, of, my, wow. one of my favorite films of all time. Like, because some people describe Lynch as weird. And I've seen like a few clips here and there other than Blue Velvet. But mm-hmm. I, I think that film itself isn't necessarily that. I think it, it feels pretty straightforward. It doesn't feel like there's anything like really surreal or anything bizarre in yeah. it. It's that's, one of his more vanilla films, I'd say. Yeah, that's probably his easiest to comprehend film. Uh, well, there's there's other ones too, but that's I, I would recommend watching Eraserhead and Mulholland Drive. Okay, Mulholland Drive's on my list. Yeah, the Mulholland Drive is my favorite film ever made, actually, uh, and it's it's very confusing. Like it's one of those films you have to watch more than once, and even then, you might not fully appreciate it but uh there's just something about lynch's style that really resonates with me and just makes me think you know (laughs) i don't know inland empire is kind of that way it's like because inland empire is my favorite film of all time and uh like his that entire film is just like a map it's like a treasure map and you gotta watch it you definitely need to watch it like at least two or three times to at least get some sort of interpretation of it. Cause on first watch, you will probably, I was super lost on the entire. And I mean, when I watch that film, every time I watch it, it's like I, the plot is different every time. <laughs> Inland Empire is his, his most mind boggling film. Um, but what I think is beautiful about that film and any of his films is that everyone has a different interpretation of it. Um, like, it's just, you, it's like an abstract painting, you know. You kind of just take what you want from it, or you know, it, it's really it's a good film. <laughs> nice, yeah. And you mentioned like other films about dreams too. I saw um, Isaiah when you were doing your Q and A a couple weeks ago. I saw um, Perfect Blue was also in that uh, realm. Uh, Satoshi Kone, great director. That's also the only film I've seen from him, but it is um, impressive to say the least. Yeah. Ike actually showed me that film, um, but it's, I don't know, the the message in that film is really resonant, and it's really relevant now, you know, because it's just about how you can lose yourself, your your personality in, in the personality that you present to everyone else. Right. Um, so much that, like, your real personality starts to get lost, and it's kind of interesting, especially with, like, me and Ike being basically influencers at this point on on instagram you know like i never thought i'd get to that point but it's it's just weird to think about that your personality kind of changes online in a way i don't know it's hard to explain but that that movie really makes me think about that kind of stuff no i think that's a great point um especially and i think that's you know very relevant in charlie kaufman's work as well especially um charles cooley and the looking glass self right it's like i am not who i think i am i am not who you think i am I am who you think I think I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it bleeds into like today's society, like avatars and like how we kind of attach ourselves on our internet personas. And a lot of people get uh, really lost in that. And I'm trying to not do that, like <laughs> especially with the yeah. newfound uh, fame with the music ship hosting, um, trying to remain true to who I am. You Absolutely. know, and a lot of people should strive to do that as well, I think. Most definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys have any like film or music hot takes to present, but I had a couple. Um, I can start throwing some in or you guys can. Um, sure. Oh, yeah. 
I think we all got some, so. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess I'll start with um, a music hot take. This one is directed at um, Isaiah, actually. Um, so I saw your opinion on um, the Gorillaz. Uh, Empire Ants is their best song. I'm going to say I disagree. It is a great song, <laughs> but I don't think it's their best. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree. I think that that's just my personal favorite song by them. That's fair. Um, but yeah, if, if we're talking like objectively, it would definitely have to be a song that that David Al or Damon Alburn is like the main producer for, you know, because that song, it, at least I think Little Dragon, the band, helped produce that song. So yeah. it's not really 100% a Gorillaz song. But at the same time, the whole idea behind the Gorillaz is to collaborate with other people. So right, I, I think. It's a great song, but I think the best song, if I were to choose like an objective best, would be Clint Eastwood. I mean, that's just the most iconic song by them. Yeah, I'd say it's their best. <laughs> that That's a fair take. I think Clint Eastwood's really good. Um, other ones that are favorites of mine, obviously, um, Melancholy Hill is really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Plastic Beach even, I don't even know if this is a hot take or not, but I, I think it is at least. I think Plastic Beach is their best record from start to finish. Definitely. I, I agree with that. I, I think, love the song Kansas a lot. <laughs> yeah. That might be my favorite. I think that might be a little bit of a hot take. But. I'm trying to think. Other ones. This actually is another one here for Isaiah. Um, so I think Bloom is actually Beach House's best record, but I did see that Depression Cherry is number three, <laughs> and um, Seven is also in your top ten. I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so Beach House is like – it's a really hard band for me to rank all their albums – uh, I was just talking to Ike about this last night. Like, I, I'm i not a person to, like, dick ride bands or anything and just praise anything they release. But Beach House is just one of the most consistent bands out there. That's true. Like, all seven of their albums are great. Um, so Bloom, like, I, I definitely respect that opinion. That's my third favorite. Uh, I think the reason Seven and Depression Cherry are, are higher is just... Uh, I guess the nostalgia because I, I listened to those a lot more in high school and stuff and and Seven Seven is just I don't know I think that's their most ethereal and it's definitely their most adventurous album sonically yes like they before Seven they kind of just stuck to their guns uh, and wrote you know really mellow dream pop songs that they're beautiful but they're not really pushing the boundaries at all but seven seven just really blew me away you know especially songs like dive and drunk in la you know they just they don't sound like anything they've made before absolutely um yeah and depression cherry is just one of my all-time favorites just it's mostly yeah. nostalgia i just wasn't like ever a big fan of depression cherry like it's a fine album but i don't know compared to like teen dream or bloom like it doesn't really like it never leaves as much of an impact on me by the time I'm finished with it. Yeah, I definitely understand that. I think for me, it's like, I like how low key it is. And I think that's why most people don't like it is because it's, it's very low key and kind of toned down for them. It's not as big and uh, huge as bloom, you know, but I like it. It just reminds me of like a lonely winter night, you know, yeah, that's definitely fair. 
Um, I have a, a hot take for Ike here. So I noticed that you're a big Young Bay fan, big Vaporwave fan. Um, I personally think he is one of the more overrated faces in Future Funk. Ooh, okay. Like he's he's good, <laughs> but I think he gets a little too much clout. That's my opinion. Like I think somebody like Home is one of my favorite Vaporwave producers. I think he's mm-hmm. a really talented guy. Um, I also really like um, Macross 82. Is that even right? Macross 82 to 99? Yep, I think it's uh, Macross eighty two eighty nine, but like I mean, it doesn't. I thought it was ninety nine. I can't remember it... though. Okay, well, I think it's ninety nine, but it doesn't matter. Maybe I agree to an extent that Macross probably, um, like, uh, deserves a little bit more uh, clout than Young Bay because uh, he seems to pick out better uh, samples because it's all pretty much sampled base, uh, but. I don't know. I think Young Bay deserves the, the all the clout he has. I mean, I, lo- I love his aesthetic and the, like the anime bubblegum, like just cool 80s aesthetic. Like, um, But there, I mean, the thing is, I think Young Bay has more weak albums than he has good ones. I think is because Bay 1 and 2 were very, very good, in my opinion, very true to the future funk genre. I think he kind of strayed off into more just like uh, house digging like up. Pop, like a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe in some respects he doesn't, and his live set, I saw him live, and uh, half of his set was uh, just, he was like playing like Daft Punk and Macross songs and like some music that wasn't even his own. But it, it was still a vibe. It was still fun. Like, um, don't get me wrong. But like, uh, I wish because when I saw him live, I wish he would have played more from uh, the first Bay album because I think that that record is just in terms of future funk is uh, is just a perfect wow. future funk record. Like it's just right. everything you want, you know. Uh, yeah, that's why I think he's more overrated because, like you brought up, his more of his music now isn't you know as true to vaporwave and future funk as a whole as it once was. So that's why I think he's for sure. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like Bay five last year. Right. With even the emergence of something like bad boy. Right. That's like not really who young Bay is as an artist, but now like that's what he, yeah. His, his, his come up was more so because like he stuck to that genre future funk and vaporwave influence. Uh, But nowadays, yeah, I think he's trying to go for something different, but most of his fans are still wanting more of what he did with his first two outings. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I respect that he's trying to kind of distance himself a little bit more and do his own thing. But at the same time, it's like, I think that's where he shined the most was with his uh, future funk and vaporwave albums. And I think those are fantastic records. And when he collaborated with like Macross um, and like Flaming Ghosts, it's like, I think those are, some of the best tracks he's ever done like with those guys um who i even though fleming ghosts isn't like inherently a future funk uh producer um he's still good still like uh it they mesh really really well together Um, yeah yeah definitely um trying to think other hot takes i had this was not one of mine but um, there's this YouTuber that I watched, his name's Alpha Media, and he did a hot take video like a while back. And one mm-hmm. of them that I thought was interesting that he brought up, I don't know if you guys are big like Frank Ocean fans, but he said that Channel Orange hasn't aged well. I kind of disagree with that, um, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Wow. Um, 
I haven't I revisited think, Channel Orange in a minute. I, I love Channel Orange, but that might be true, honestly. I think Blonde has aged so much better than Channel Orange. Um, I think just Blonde, I, I don't know. Channel Orange, I guess it's just the production for me. It sounds very, uh, I guess, cheap, but uh, that's kind of what I like about it, though, you know? Like, songs like Thinking About You. I mean, the production on that track isn't amazing, but it's it's a vibe you know yeah definitely and the songwriting is still incredible i think songwriting wise i think channel orange is so much better than blonde but exactly as far as atmosphere blonde definitely is superior right and that's kind of my take like for blonde i have to be like in a really specific mood like i have to be like down in the dumps to be like into that album Mm -hmm. but like with channel orange it's like it fulfills so many different vibes. Like you could be it's super groovy. happy when you're listening to that record, right? Like with songs like Monks, right? Like that's a super like dancey and upbeat song. Something like Lost right. and Pyramids, both really upbeat songs. But you also have, you know, some really dark tracks on there. Obviously like Crack Rock, you have mm-hmm. um, Bad Religion, which is really good. Pink Matter. Yes, absolutely. One of my favorites. So that's why I think that record really stands out more to me and it's why it's my favorite frank ocean project yeah but i still think blonde is a great record regardless definitely in fact or ike you haven't said anything yet what are your thoughts on that pretty much just on the same page with you guys on that too <laughs> i i went for some reason i always listen to blonde when i'm at an airport i i, I think That's it's an a good airport, airport vibe bro yeah <laughs> or like riding on the metro or something i just always listen to blonde That's like the only times i really listen to it but I love that record. I think it's great. Uh, Channel Orange is um, something I rarely ever revisit. I remember I really liked it when it first released, but uh, I just never really in the mood for it, I guess. I like thinking about you, but I can't even remember the last time I listened to that song. Yeah. That's fair. Um, Um, I have a few hot takes. Go for it. Far away. Um, I think that Camp by Childish Gambino is one of the worst hip-hop albums ever made. I think that, like, I have not listened to it in full, but other than, like, Bonfire, there really isn't a lot that's memorable from it. And it's weird because Bonfire became, like, one of his most well-known songs, but, like, there's nothing else off of there that, like, anyone talks about. Yeah, and the thing about Bonfire is I think that's one of the worst tracks on the album, honestly. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just... I think every bar is so corny and every bar well, gets the point though. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's not supposed to be serious. It's just supposed to be yeah. like goofy. It's true. That's true. But it doesn't, I guess it just does. It's not like super obvious that it's supposed to be campy. It just sounds like really bad bars to me. And then fair. some of the, some of the other tracks on it are just like, they try way too hard to be emotional and they they have these like really melodramatic string sections and and just really corny bars. I don't know. I I think the main reason I hate that album so much is because my ex had a CD of it that she played quite a bit, and I I've always hated that album. I guess it's just the worst album that I've ever like had to sit through. You know. That's fair. I don't like that album. I, I don't really have much against Childish Gambino in general, but that album's ass. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another, like, hot take that I've seen around. It's, like, I don't, like, I, I think Childish Gambino is honestly, like, kind of overrated. Like, he relies too much on, like, aesthetics 
to make his music like work. And I, I kind of agree with that, to be honest. He's always trying to reinvent himself. He never ever like had a grounded sound, so to speak, right? Because, you know, because the internet and to camp to some extent were like rap based, but then he switches mm-hmm. to Kawhi, which is more like very airy synth R&B. And then you go to like, you know, Awaken My Love and it's dark, you know, soul music. You go to 31520 and that's like one of the most underwhelming bizarre records of 2020 i haven't even listened to that to be honest i think yeah the thing about childish gambino is it just seems like he never really pushes himself uh to become something else you know like even his best record in my opinion is awaken my love which is a great record but it it's so obvious that it was it's kind of just it's it's trying to be funkadelic you know mm-hmm. <laughs> basically trying to be funkadelic but it's a good record it's just i wish he would push himself harder to to create music that's unique you know sure but he's a talented dude though he's a very talented guy yeah going on like the aesthetics aspect of channel scambia i think like he's so with his entire discography it's he's so like all over the place that i think he needs to kind of find what would be consistently like would work for him um for every output and he can you know explore all he wants with different sounds but it just doesn't seem like he's found precisely what would work yeah it just doesn't seem fully realized you know like there's nothing wrong with artists jumping between genres on albums but you know nothing he does really seems fully realized to me yeah i completely agree there (laughs) what else do you have isaiah um oh shit oh yeah i have a film hot take uh once upon a time in hollywood is one of the most boring films I've ever watched. I think it's so, arguably I mean, one the, of the end is good. <laughs> it's one of his worst. I think I think it's one of Tarantino's worst films. I will agree with you there. It's not like one of the most boring films I've ever watched, but the first two acts right. are like painfully slow, and then you get to the third act, and it's like finally like that climax that we've been waiting for the the signature Tarantino, if you will. That yeah, that made the movie worth it for me. Um, but I don't think I'll be rewatching it. <laughs> Neither will I, I don't think. It was a I love Tarantino though. But that film definitely the worst that I've seen by him. Yeah, that's fair. Um what's your favorite Tarantino? Uh Inglorious Bastards. Ooh. That's my one of my favorite films of all time. <laughs> I think uh I mean it's just if for anyone who's ever seen it, they know how satisfying it is, you know. Unless you are a Nazi sympathizer, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's just like one of the best written and just most entertaining films I've ever watched. And I'm not a war movie kind of person, you know, usually that's not really my thing, but the way Tarantino does it is just so unlike any other director, you know, he just rewrites history. Which is kind of what he did on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right, it's and Django, too. Yeah, the execution. And Django, yeah. Django's really good, too. I think top three for me are Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, and then Django. I still have to see, like, The Hateful Eight and Kill Bill Volume 2, but I've seen, like, the majority of his, like, main works. Yeah. For me, yeah, be, Pulp- for top three would probably be, like, uh, Kill Bill, uh, Hateful Eight, and then... Um, Probably Pulp Fiction, too. I love Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp's great. You can't hate it. It's just one of those films that, like, everybody in yeah, their grandmother loves. Yeah, fuck hates Pulp Fiction? It's a, it's it's a, a crime. 
Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Literally a crime. Yeah. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, I did not think. I mean, I loved it when I first watched it as like a 14-year-old. It's overrated. I, it's bad. I don't like it anymore. Like, I, I think it's kind of a bore. <laughs> I agree. It is a little overrated. I think, I think it's overrated, but I still think it's good, though. As I, I think the whole, like, I, I think the first time you watch it is really the best time you watch it, you know? Mm-hmm. That twist in the middle just gets you. <laughs> right, absolutely. Um, trying to think, what other hot takes did I have? Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Old Boy by Park Chan-wook, but I think mm-hmm. that yeah. film is one of the most, like, overrated films I've ever seen. It's I would, I mean, I have the same take, honestly. <laughs> I it's think just weird. The, like, there's, like, the it was first such a... half is really good, and yeah. then it, like, really just gets fucking strange and weird it's not that not that oh, especially great especially that twist at the end yeah it's fucking weird dude. did you have any ike i did yeah i did i think uh oh <laughs> due to my own personal experiences i think uh radiohead's very overrated and overloved oh <laughs> bro that, that is a very hot take like i don't think they're and that was actually going to be my take is that, you know, I think, okay, computer is honestly overrated. Like in rainbows is arguably their best project, but to call Radiohead overrated that Just I think in is generally, like yeah. the yeah. hottest of hot takes. <laughs> well, what, it's mostly due to my own personal experiences. Cause I was introduced, I listened to like due to my mom and, radio just in general is playing a lot of like Coldplay and Muse so they generally have for me a very similar style I mean I know that they ripped off of uh, Radiohead like completely but um it's just kind of it just kind of ruined it for me so like when I visited Radiohead listened to Kid A uh, in Rainbows and OK and I like OK Computer I think it's all right um but I just can't shake that. I just can't, I just cannot get into that like kind of soft rocky, like the way his voice sounds is super similar to, and I understand it's like experimental, more so experimental than like, of course, Coldplay and Muse and they play it kind of safe in my opinion, but I don't know. I just can't shake that sound personally. (laughs) I just not into it. I get what you mean. Yeah. Like, my opinion on Radiohead is that they're one of the most important bands of all time. Right. Uh, but the the only album I really like by them is In Rainbows and OK Computer. But Kid A, Kid A is like the most overrated <laughs> album I've ever listened to. Like that album, I, I like it for the concept, but the execution and just the overall atmosphere of that album, I just do not dig. Yeah, I think both of you guys are right in that sense. But, you know, maybe overrated is maybe a harsh word. Like, maybe they just, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're not overrated. It's just something I I naturally can't get into. So I feel that it's overrated. But I also, I respect the influence and the overwhelming, like, like the fandom and uh, the dedication to, to that is you know, towards Radiohead in general. I still have yet to listen to King of Limbs, and I know that's a pretty good outing from them, uh, at least generally speaking. Worst. Uh, yeah, that's what I've heard, too. It's, like, not their best. Like, <laughs> I think, for me, it probably goes, like, you know, in Rainbows, probably... I would have to say Kid A, honestly, is, like, it's good, but maybe I think it is a little overhyped. OK Computer is, like, 
three. I've been listening to a lot of the Bends recently. I think that's like one of their most underrated. It reminds me a lot of like, like the Bends. Yeah, I thought it's that was a good a record. Like it reminds yeah. me a lot of shoegaze. Like some of the stuff you yeah. saw with like slow dive and stuff from the early nineties. Like, yeah. yeah, I think another album that's underrated by Radiohead, I think, is a moon shaped pool. Yes, that's true. That like it's cool because it's like it's super dreamy. Yeah, and that's that's the shit I love. Yeah. Compared to like everything else they've done, it's definitely very left field and the, you know, it's, it's more acoustic. It's more dreamy. Yeah. Definitely maybe not as experimental, but just a solid album overall. It's just a really nice, pleasant listen, you know, even though it's like so sad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, it's really sad too, but yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had one more. Uh, Product by Sophie, the product compilation is better than Oil of Every Pearl's on Insides. I don't know if you've listened to Sophie before. But... I know Sophie's work. I've only heard um, uh, Oils of Every Pearl. That's like the one that I'm familiar with, not products. But I think she's like yeah. very talented. I think she's got a lot of good stuff. Like I think the um, the Flume record that dropped last year, like that short EP, like his remix of uh, – what is it? How cold is it in the water? It right? in the water? Yeah. yeah. Like that was like pretty good. Yeah. I didn't like that remix to be I honest. I didn't like the EP in general, but I, I think that was one I of love the better Flume. songs. Yeah, yeah. Same. I love Flume, but just that EP I, in general was not great. Yeah. Like Flume has, he, he's like one of the artists that inspired me to start making music in general, but that <laughs> Hi, This Is Flume mixtape, it had really impressive sound design, but it just, I don't know. It wasn't as enjoyable. But uh, back to Sophie, though, I think the product compilation, it's just a compilation of singles that she dropped in like from like 2014 to 2015. And I think that's like an essential hyper pop release. Like anyone who likes hyper pop or PC music needs to listen to product because uh, Oil of Every Pearl's on Insides is really avant garde and experimental. Uh, and it's definitely more like impressive production wise, but product i think like as far as the underground was one of the most influential releases in that genre by far and i love hyperpop too yeah yeah hyperpop is amazing it's been a it's been around for a while but it's just recently starting to emerged yeah yeah like thanks to charlie xcx hundred gags ag cook obviously huge pioneer yeah and i think sophie is an artist that really goes uncredited when it comes to like when you're discussing hyper pop and its foundations because product was just such an influential project so i definitely recommend listening to it i'll have to give it a listen thanks and then just a couple of smaller questions here but like what are like some things that like you want people listening to know about you guys what you do music ship posting in general we just we just like making memes (laughs) we we like music and I don't know. It's just, um, I, I'm really thankful for like our, our fan base for sticking with us, you know, even, even though sometimes I can uh, take long hiatuses from the page and stuff, but our, our fan base is really dedicated and I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I just love having music discussions on our page. Hell yeah. Big shout outs to uh, the music ship posting discord that we have and everyone there oh, yeah. seems super dedicated still and shout outs to the mods that are keeping that going. And um, We should link to that backup 
on the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should I, get some I, people a little over. bit because of the SoundCloud link, but yeah, we got to plug that again. Awesome. Yeah. And like, what are some other like personal goals that you guys have for the future? Not only with the page, but maybe in your own life, Isaiah, maybe with your music. Um, I, I, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be releasing my album soon in like a month. So be on the lookout for that. Um, I just hope that people will check it out. And even if they don't like it, I just, it'd be awesome to get some feedback from from all the followers that'd be dope yeah i just hope we keep growing and uh you know sharing memes with everyone definitely i personally am like i i want to start making music here pretty soon as well um with isaiah actually uh mm -hmm. and hopefully um because we're gonna find a new place here pretty soon in salt lake city and hopefully i can focus more on that because i've just been focusing on like work and moving around and stuff like that. Hopefully I can settle and actually focus on making some music myself. <laughs> Good for you, man. Yeah, that's super exciting. Very excited to see where the page goes. And once again, Isaiah, Ike, thank you so much for sitting down with me. It's a great time. If you guys are not following music shit posting on Instagram, you better go do that. Yeah, of course, dude. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Take it easy. Now we're heading into part two of episode number 22, and I am now joined by Michael Spine, the admin of the Instagram music meme page, Playboy Suck. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Hey, I'm just hanging in there. I hope uh, all is well with you. It's good to finally see you. Love the page. I love where everything is going. But, you know, obviously you're at almost 20,000 followers now. Like, how have you reacted to, like, the success and the growth that the page has had? And, like, what are some of the best and worst things that have come from it? Ooh, um... I'm really, really happy with the, the growth of the page. And that's like the crazy thing is I've, I've had the account for about two years. And for the first year, it was like extremely minimal growth. Like I would say the first year I got to like maybe 800. But then in the last year, I just went from like 800 to like the 19K I'm at today, which is pretty awesome. But recently, you know, Instagram's algorithm has kind of been messing me over so i'm not really growing as fast but i'm really happy with the account's progress yeah and don't be discouraged by like twenty thousand. that's still a pretty impressive amount especially yeah. because you're the only guy running it no yeah for sure um yeah i've i know i've met like a lot of cool people through it that's like my favorite part is not the numbers i've connected with so many cool artists so many cool rappers so many cool reviewers that i would have never known and it's just like it's awesome. As far as like celebrities go, I would say my favorite interactions have been um, Joey Badass reposted me like three different times. That was like I fanboyed because I'm like a huge Joey Badass guy. And then Pusha T and it like saw it on Joey's story and put it on his story. Oh, wow. I'm a bigger Pusha T fan. So I was right. going. Uh, Ski Mask was liking my memes, which was awesome. Tokyo's Revenge follows me and that. Like I went crazy. I didn't even know someone commented like, did you know Tokyo follows you? And I was like, I checked cause I couldn't believe it, but he's dope. I love his music. And as far as meeting people, like it's not just like celebrities. It's just like cool people like Andy Cypress, this rapper that I met, he used to run an account and he's a rapper that I, or he still runs the account. But I've been talking to him. He just released a new EP and it was really fucking good. And I'm really glad I discovered his music. 
I've gotten like some pretty dope content creators as far as like clothing and like art, like people who do like canvases, um, like starting their own brands. It's just like awesome, all the creative people. And it is cool because I think, you know, hip hop Instagram, rap Instagram, whatever you want to call it, has has its flaws for sure. Like people always criticize it. Yeah, but there's a lot of dope creatives on there. You know what I mean? And it, it it's a great place for people to be creative. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the thing with just music meme accounts in general. Like it is definitely very controversial, but you're right. There are some mm-hmm. some, some diamonds in the rough, if you will. For sure. Yeah, um, but that's super cool though. Pusha T reposted your stuff, Joey Badass, and like Tokyo's Revenge, obviously with his big TikTok success, giving you a follow. Yes. That's that's really cool. Yeah, man. I like yeah. All my friends knew him from TikTok, so I was like, that's dope because <laughs> I don't have TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Um. But like, what were some of your you know influences to kind of start Playboy Stuck in the first place? Like, were there any specific content creators, or was it just kind of an idea you had and? It's crazy because I can really like name the two pages that I kind of used together to make Playboy Suck. Um, and that is Sosa on the Beat. You know that account, right? He's I don't pretty- actually. Oh, really? He's pretty, he's got like 200K and he's what inspired me to start what I used to. I don't do reviews anymore. I'll, I can talk about that later, like why I don't. But he used to do like reviews but like instead of like slides with the review the review would be in the caption and it would just be memes about the album and i went on that format for a long time because of him like his account was like my favorite me it still is my favorite meme account probably maybe like j cole and yandy are also really good but um and then odd hampton they're great i love odd hampton great account their account, like the shit posting that I do is Odd Hampton and then everything else that I do is Sosa on the Beat. I just fuse them together to make a less good version of both. Yeah. I, I mean, Odd Hampton has been somebody I've been following for about, I have to say at least three or four years now. You know, the, the admins are both nice people. I've spoken with both of them before. And um, yeah, I definitely see um, the influence on Playboy Suck. And they're they're very like well-spoken and they know a lot about music. It's not just like random shit posting, you know, I'm not saying that, but their posts are funny. So. Right. Yeah. Um, but obviously what is the significance behind the name of Playboy Suck? Obviously I'm, I'm assuming Playboy Cardi, but I could be wrong. No, you're right. Um, Playboy Suck is honestly just a stupid name because, um, like, I would never make rap music, but people used to, like, I would say, like, my rap name would be, like, Lil Suck when that whole Suck meme was big back in, like, 2016. I don't even fucking, like, way back when. So then I just, like, was, like, created the account, and I was, like, you know, I think Playboy Cardi memes are funny at the time, at least. I still think they're kind of funny, but they're also kind of played out. And my name is Lil Suck, so I just came up with Playboy Suck, and I was surprised that it wasn't taken, actually, but... I guess now that I think about it, it's kind of a weird name, <laughs> but it sticks though. It does stick. And there's really no significance to it. And that, that was it. I just came up with it. It was the name on the first day of the account. It's still the name today. So. Wow. And you've had the account now for four years, right? Two. two. Oh, just two. Okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. Um, but like, where do you get a lot of your memes? Like, do you create your own content or do you look to other places to find memes or? Well, I mean, I get my formats from anywhere, like Instagram Explorer page, Safari, but everything on Playboy Suck is like I make. Like, okay. I, I, I do all OCs. And that was the original thing with Playboy Suck is I was like, 
I won't like name any names, but like there are bigger accounts who just like screenshot memes from smaller accounts and don't credit or do credit sometimes and get really big off it. But I was just kind of like the idea of Playboy Suck was like to create an all original content, no matter how shitty that content is, of just a bunch of my memes and like, and so and obviously I do collabs with people, which is like awesome because there's some great content creators I've done with, uh, you know, J. Cole's Almond Milk. Um, no, I don't. Oh, you should follow him. He's great. Uh, Yanni memes. I think we collabed a while back, and then like some newer accounts. Four to Squall by Zay is great. So yeah, awesome. So I guess that's good for you. I mean, obviously sticking to your guns and making your own content. I used to hit put OC on everything, but then I realized like if everything's an OC, so I just watermark it now. Because mm-hmm. I've had some, I've had some big accounts take it. I don't really mind when people take them. As long as they tag you and give you the credit, it doesn't really matter. I mean. I prefer to be tagged, but I'm not going to go like up in arms if someone takes my memes. You know what I mean? But everyone on Instagram is great about tagging pretty much. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, so I guess switching gears here now to like music in general, like what are some of your like favorite albums of all time? Just albums that have really spoken to you in some way and like why, you know, why are they so significant to you? Hmm, I would say some special albums to me would be I think one that everybody says, but Blonde by Frank Ocean. That's my go-to feels album. So there's a lot of like different memories associated with that from darker times in my life that I've overcome. And, you know, so it's a special album to me and I think it always will be. Um, I would say Yeezus is one and that's a little more of a controversial one, but that is an album that really makes me feel confident when I need to be and kind of, angrier when I need to be, you know, like more outspoken. I can listen to Yeezus. I can listen to Onsite. Um, Guilt Trip. Yeah, Guilt Trip. Black Skinhead, New Slaves. Pretty much all of it besides like, what, like Hold My Liquor or like a few other songs that kind of have a melancholy vibe. Um, Some rap songs by Earl Sweatshirt. Great record. That, That only just has a special place in my heart because Earl was my favorite artist and I was waiting on the new album from 2015 till it dropped. And I was every Friday waiting for Earl Sweatshirt news for three years, man. And then when it finally came out and it was like that different of a record from what he had done in the past. Right. Worked so well. And that was also, that also still holds a special place in my heart as like the first album that got me into like standing on the corner, Mike, Slauson Malone, uh, Mavi, you know, like the Maxo, you know, the like the more underground kind of dusty mm. rap scene. Um, Twisted Fantasy, obviously. Yes, sir. That's how we do it. Yeah. Uh, Pablo. I just have a lot of great memories, just like Father Stretch My Hands Part One, riding out to that, you know. I love Pablo. That's like, I think my personal favorite. Like, That's interesting, if- though, because... I don't know. I feel like with a lot of the the younger generation of Kanye listeners, they'll obviously flock to Pablo, but I don't know. It's, it's just an album that I've never really ranked as high as I would other projects. Like I think something like Yeezus has grown on me just a little bit, maybe gets a little too much love for what it is, but I think you're definitely right about the themes on there of obviously rage and putting you in a good confident mood. Definitely. But to me, I, I hate to sound pretentious, and it's what I say all the time. I think The Life of Pablo reminds me a lot of, like, the Beatles' White Album. It's just really all over the place. It doesn't have, like, a clear vision, in my opinion. Right. So that's why it, it kind of ranks out on the lower end. Like, obviously, there are great individual songs, but as an overall project, it just 
my favorite and or one that I'll flock back to all the time. And I mean, when I'm ranking Kanye albums, Pablo is not at the top. But I'm like, as far as personal favorites go, with mm-hmm. like great songs on it. When I think about all the songs that I love on Pablo, it's like it's crazy with Ultralight Beam and Wolves and Father Stretch My Hands. It's like all these songs have such a special place in my heart. But actually, right, you're right, and it does drag on. You know what I mean? It's like it's long. Yeah, fade facts. Um, I like facts actually, though, and I don't mind fade either. That's the, uh, Ultralight Beam has actually been one that I don't like. That's kind of a hot take. And wow. It, like really? it's a it's a good song, but it's not, in my opinion, at least, not as good as some of of you know Kanye's other material. That I know that is a piping hot take. That is a very hot take, and not one that I've commented on you know very much before. But I don't know. It's just never been one that's spoken to me in any you know mm. particular way. I, I I love Ultralight Beam, but I'm not, I'm like at the direct opposite of you. Like Fade for me, if I'm listening to Pablo, I always skip Fade. I skip Feedback most of the time. Kind of skip. I love Young Thug, but I kind of skip highlights sometimes. Oh, I love highlights. It's fine. You know what I mean? That's how yeah. I feel. Famous, obviously a great song. Famous is, that's another song that really gets me into like a confident headspace. That's just yeah. a banger. I love Famous. It hypes you up. I feel you. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, obviously you mentioned um, some rap songs by Earl Sweatshirt, which I think is, even though it, you're right, it, it does take a very sharp stylistic turn for Earl, but I still think that is what made it so good. You know, it reminds me a lot of, um, especially on the production side, something that like Jay Dilla would do mm. with kind of that like sample infused kind of glitchy beats. And I, I, I appreciate that. And that's what a lot of artists are kind of doing nowadays. Um, especially, I don't know if you listened to Jay Electronica's album this past yeah. Um, this mm-hmm. past year it's not my favorite but i think it's definitely clear to see how jay electronica took um some more influence from like that kind of psychedelic jay dilla glitchy i hate to say glitchy but that's kind of how it is though it just jumps around a lot on, right. on the beats and it, it's odd when you talk about um some rap songs or like any of like slossa malone's work because it's like you want to use words like glitchy and dusty because there's really like no way to describe how it makes me feel you know what i mean right it's but um, as far as Jay Electronica, I liked that album, but I didn't love it. Yeah, I feel you. It was, it was, it had some good moments, but you know, because Jay Z was on it for more than half, he didn't even get credits in the liner notes, and like he was on every track, which yeah. was weird. It felt more like his album than it was Jay Electronica's. I, I mean, I don't know what it is with Jay Electronica if he just doesn't want to record music, and Jay Z had to like finish the album or what it was there. But I mean. I think any time you wait 10 years to release an album, it's not going to live up to the hype because you just can't make people wait 10 years unless you release something absolutely like astounding, you know? Right. And even and, some of the tracks like Shining Suit Theory was actually from 2010. Oh, was it really? Yeah. And if we had gotten more tracks like that, I probably would have been more engaged yeah. with the project as a whole. Mm, and Jay Electronica is a fantastic rapper. He just needs to, he just needs a project where he can have the spotlight, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. definitely fair. Yeah, I don't think he's like, you know, amazing. And that, that album definitely did not display his full range of rapping abilities. But I think you're right. He needs a project where he can, you know, show off his full abilities and not be playing second fiddle to, you know, his own right. boss, for God's sakes. And yep. on the, the third album you mentioned, obviously, Blonde. I'm personally also going to bring up a hot take here. I actually prefer Channel Orange more than Blonde because like you mentioned, it's an album that you really have to be in a specific mood 
to enjoy. Like I have to, I, I can't really listen to that album on its own. Whereas Channel Orange, it's so diverse to the point where I can just, you know, pick up any song on there and just kind of enjoy it. Like for example, Monks is like a great party anthem. Pyramids is a great party anthem. And then you've got something super dark, like, you know, Crack Rock, Bad Religion, Forrest Gump. It's obviously a hot take and, you know, one that obviously a lot of people will not accept or agree with, but that's just kind of how I view it. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, that, that I don't actually think that's like a piping hot take. Like, I don't mind that take at all because I think Channel Orange is great. Um, I try to not like say like objectively when I'm, you know, right. Yeah, off. same. I'm kind of, I used to say that a lot more, but I'm kind of straying away from it. I do think that Blonde is the better album, like as far as structure goes and as far as like individual tracks go. But I think you are like, you bring up a very valid point about Channel Orange. And like, there's so many like good songs that just go with anything. You know what I mean? If it's any mood. Right, exactly. Like I can just, I can play Lost at any time. And then you're right, there are just Bad Religion is a beautiful emotional song that could have fit in on, could have fit in on Blonde. Sure. You know, so I actually, I don't hate that take. And I think people on Instagram will hate that take, but I don't think, right. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think people will hate that take. You know what I mean? That's more of like a, a hip hop Instagram slash Twitter album than it is like, if you go out and talk to people, I think a lot of people will be like, oh, you know, I think Channel Orange, I enjoy Channel Orange more, but yeah. I, I'm a blonde guy. I feel you, man. And that's totally respectable. And I'm not saying it's a bad album. I personally just no. prefer Channel Orange in the grand scheme of things. And I, I would never say Channel Orange. Channel Orange is a bad, is a bad album because it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I, I do prefer Blonde, barely. Um, but again, big news here in the music scene. Um, Rolling Stone just dropped their top 500 albums, which was, you know, it only, it only gets published like what, every like seven, eight, nine years. Yeah. And and this is this is a big one because what was interesting is they went to other musicians and other people to kind of be like, okay, what's your top fifty? Let's source the list from that. Like, what are what are your opinions on it? Did you see the list at all or no? I did look through the list. I um, you know, honestly, I need to expand my music taste. Like, I'm not afraid to admit that. I think there are a lot of people who are like kind of pretend that they listen to everything and don't. I think I, there's a lot of albums I still need to listen to. And there's a lot of albums on that list I still need to listen to. Like from the way that they went to artists and like asked them like, hey, what do you think? What's your top 50? I think that's brilliant because the music, you know, it's like simply put, the music comes from the musicians. They know best. You can say everything you want about a critic, but if a critic doesn't make music, you know, like how right can they be without the support of some musicians? That's true. I think that's a good point, actually. Especially, I think that's why a lot of people don't like Fantano. This isn't necessarily related, but I think you kind of have to go into like his videos and what he says and kind of take it with a grain of salt because he's not going to like every album that you like and he's not, you know, you're not going to like every album that he likes. So I think the respect has to be very mutual. But to your point with the artists, it's like, you know, that that's why I always ask everyone I interview, like, who are some of your biggest influences? Because I'm always looking for new music to check out and just hearing what those artists think is good and what has inspired them. Like that has definitely helped broaden my horizons to some extent. Right. And that, and that's awesome. And just to stay on Fantano for a second, I, I, I think that's one of the guys who receives a lot of unnecessary hate, actually. I agree. I, Fantano has been very clear that this is his opinion. And at the end of every video, he says, what do you think of this album? 
Did you, did you like, like it? it? Did you hate it? Yeah, exactly. Right. And he says even in the caption, like, y'all know this is just my opinion, right? Exactly. He can give an album a 10 and say, did you like it? Did you hate it? He will never give an album a 10 and say, this is a fantastic album. You like it. And I think the reason he's fa- he's um, hated rather is more because of his fans who kind of take what he says. Like there is a certain aspect of his fan base that kind of like treat his word as the Bible. But I think if, if, if you watch Fantano and think this is his opinion, I have mine. You're going to really enjoy him as a music reviewer and like as a funny person. I disagree with a ton of his reviews. Like it's, it's never too big of a deal to me. Like he gave Twisted Fantasy a six. I make memes about it all the time, but I'm not actually, you know, it's his opinion. And at this point it's just turned into a huge joke. Yeah, but uh, uh, Twisted Fantasy to me, like if, if you asked me to rank the album, I would say it's a 10. I agree. I says it a six says it's a six. I don't have a problem with him. You know what I mean? That's his opinion. I have mine. Right. But it's, it's sort of an unwritten rule though. It's kind of like, there are some albums that like, you know, everybody can agree is really good. Right. Like you could, like everybody could be like, Oh, this album's amazing. And then like one person is like, yeah, it's just okay. You'll kind of like turn to that guy and you'll be like, wait, what are you talking about? Why don't you enjoy it? Because I feel like the reason why they do that is because they're kind of just, you know, upset or disappointed that somebody couldn't appreciate the album in the same way that they could. I think that's the case with, fantasy especially well i mean and it's just the thing it's it's how people relate to music and someone exactly one could be listening to an album and have a personal experience that's just like what's being described on the album and therefore like gravitate toward it and then someone who hasn't ever had an experience like the album describes doesn't understand you know what i mean and it's like everyone's reviews are going to be different because it boils down partly to your personality and who you are you know what i mean absolutely which is which is really interesting to think about when people hate on music reviewers or you know talk about music reviewing. You just got to consider that everyone is different, you know. Exactly. Um, to pimp a butterfly, that was a really interesting one for me. That it's in the top twenty. Like that is one that I think is, and again, another another hot take here. I think it's just slightly overrated. It gets a little too much love, but I plan on re-reviewing it in you know my classics month, which is like January through March. So hopefully my opinion will change. But I think the first like you know, first few times that I've heard it, it wasn't like right. mind blowing for me. Like it's very, it's very good. It's well done. He's someone who's never had a real grounded sound. He's always flocked in between different genres. And that's why it's really hard to get a read on him because you look at it with like, you know, section 80 and good kid, mad city, at least there's some continuity there because it's very West coast influenced. But then you go to something that's completely different, like to pimple butterfly. And it's like, very jazz influenced, very conscious hip hop like. And then damn is just kind of like mainstream rap music. So you're yeah. not really sure how to, you know, describe him as an artist. He's very unpredictable. That is interesting. And I think people a lot of the time think about versatile artists and talk about, you know, talk about Kanye, talk about whatever. But I think Kendrick is really, really versatile because his sounds have just been so different. And he's continuing his next album, he says, is going to be a rock album. And oh I'm, no, I, I'm worried about that though. If that's I, the case. I'm extremely worried. He's, he said rock influenced sound. Well, that could, that could be taken as multiple ways because mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like Mac Miller circles obviously was kind of like a rock record, so to speak. It's very soft right. rock singer right. songwriter oriented. But I think the point of that was not to do it as like a way to capitalize on your fame like right. someone like Logic did with Supermarket or Kid Cudi did with Speed and Bullet to Heaven, right? Like mm. n- n- neither of those are good records, 
But you look at what Mac did with with that. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't feel like he's trying to sell out. You know, this it's no, that it that feels like a true send off record. It does compared to someone like Juice World or XXX Tentacion, who have probably released oh my god at least a handful of posthumous albums, and they serve no purpose. Like it, it, it's it's the estate trying to get money, and it's exactly disrespectful Stupid. to the artist's legacy, and it's like. I think it's beautiful that they said no more Mac Miller music, no matter how you feel about them. I love Mac Miller. So when they, when they said like, this is the last Mac Miller album, I was kind of like torn. Cause I'm like, you know, you obviously want to hear more, but it's like at the right. same time, if they are going to be doing what they did to these, to these artists who have died and jamming it with features and taking unsec- unfinished 30 second loops and putting random features and repeating things, it's just like cash grab. And I think the, they shouldn't do that to Mac, so. Exactly. I think that's what makes his record all the more meaningful. And I think right. arguably that is my favorite record of 2020 so far. And that's actually sort of a brilliant segue into my next question here. Like, what are some of, you know, your favorite records of 2020? Um, okay, so. Hmm. I loved After Hours by the weekend. Same with I'm me. a big fan of his vocals. I loved the 80s style. Like, I loved the album aesthetic, like the cover, the music videos. It was all awesome to me. Like, I loved that theme. I loved that. Like, he says he goes through eras. I loved that era. I thought it was, it, it is mainstream. It is pop. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that one done right. And I think he, he did a great job on that project. I replay that probably more than any album in 2020. Um, I would say another... My, my album of the year is Pray for Paris by West Side Gun. Wow. That, that is an interesting take, actually, because I've never been a big Griselda fan before. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I actually think they're not. They just sound like a bunch of, like, Wu-Tang Clan clones, and they don't really add a lot of, like, new ideas to the scene. Because it, especially West Side Gun, I think he sounds a lot like Ghostface Killer, if you've heard some of Wu-Tang's yeah. music. Yeah, he sounds like basically a disciple. And I think that's kind of my biggest criticism of him is like, if you're just going to like sound exactly like him, what's the point of even making music? I might as well just go back and listen to like Supreme Clientele or something if I want to ha- hear something that sounds like Ghostface Killer. Supreme Clientele is a beautiful album, man. But um, it is. I loved Pray for Paris because I love Wu-Tang and I love the revival of it. They are kind of like not a new Wu-Tang because no one will ever get that label. Exactly. But I do love the kind of revival of the sound. And it's very, to me, it's like, I know it's an, it's an overstated phrase, but I feel like there aren't enough people who are just doing like, you know, like this kind of revival, traditional, you know, East Coast. And I, I love it. And what about I, like, so you mentioned Joey Bass at the top of the episode. Right. You know, he's someone who's also been big on that as well. Right. But for me, there's never enough. I love East Coast rap. And I think that, He's just an incredible rapper, too. His pen is... Maybe my taste will change. I, I mean, obviously, I haven't listened to the album yet. But like I said, what I've heard from them before has not really given me much hope going into other projects. If, if you want to get into them, like an easy, short project, The Plugs I Met by Benny the Butcher is, is, a, pretty, is a pretty, like, pretty good project. It's, I think it's only six tracks and one's an intro. It, it's, like, really short really really good one of my favorite projects of 2019 and i would definitely recommend from a king to a gob was conway's recent album i thought it was really good 
Uh, he had Lulu with the Alchemist, which I thought was brilliant. But going off of what you said about the Alchemist, obviously Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist, the Alfredo, great record. I think honestly might be top 10 for me at the moment for the year. Yeah. For, oh, for top 10, 100%. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting about Freddie Gibbs. I think he is a really talented guy, but I don't think it comes from his lyricism. I think it's because he has just such a great chemistry with like anybody. He he makes basically any old producer look good again. Yeah, and it, he's brilliant over obviously over Mad Lib beats. Like he's amazing. Well, I mean, Mad Lib's a god anyway. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, of course. But um, for me, I think Freddie Gibbs is like his flow, his delivery his personality just like is, is my favorite part about him. Like I love how like unique his voice is and like his flow on like the first half of half man, half cocaine was like one of the most like, yeah, it's, I like that triplet flow that he's got going on there. I think yeah, that's that, arguably that, one of the best ones that they, they put right. together as you know, Mad Gibbs. Well, whenever someone mentions Freddie Gibbs to me, like that's the first thing I think of is how brilliant half man half cocaine is as a song and how like that triplet flow in the beginning is amazing yeah i also really like Giannis with anderson pack that's another yeah. one that really speaks out to me also high from um pinata that's another one of my oh, yeah. personal favorites and i think pinata has to be one of my favorite records of all time i i, I liked bandana but i did i like i liked pinata better people were saying bandana was better i still prefer pinata um but both were like really good they're otherworldly honestly like he, yeah. he's in a whole new league and i feel like it's a bummer because it, you know instagram hip-hop will obviously hype him up as like a great person but going back to what you said if you just ask like anybody like oh hey have you ever listened to freddie gibbs they're more than likely to say like no who's that right and i think he's a really talented person and i think a lot more people should be checking him out right yeah and he, he's never going to make radio music but he's one of those people, like, if I hear someone who doesn't really, like, who hasn't really checked out everything, talking about how they hate mumble rap and about how rap is, like, garbage now and they can't listen to it, I tell them, like, have you, have you listened to Freddie Gibbs? Like, you need to check him out. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I feel that. And that was kind of me for a really long time. Like, I was never a big fan of rap. But then, like, you know, almost over three years ago now, I, you know, got into Kanye West music. I'm like okay, it, it might as well, you know, get back into it, right? So, like, the first album I heard from him was Graduation, you know, then 808s, and then My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and then Yeezus, and then just kind of listening to that, that was kind of my gateway for rap, in a sense, Kanye West. That got me into, like, so many other artists and styles, and, yeah, I think my my, my opinion on rap is definitely a little bit different than it yeah. once was. <laughs> Kanye is, like, the greatest person to help you get into rap, I think. Exactly. Everything... There's, there's an album for everybody with Kanye West, no matter what you like. And that's right. what's about Kanye. What's really, um, what's really funny, actually, is I got into hip-hop from the most unexpected artists. And an artist, or like a group that I never really listened to anymore. And it's, it's really odd because I got into rap from Ray Shremard. Like, I heard a Ray Shremard song on the radio, and I was like... That's pretty good. And then I don't even know how I ended up. It started from Ray Schremer, then it went to Gucci Mane, Young. It's Club. just a wormhole. Once you once you listen to one guy, then you listen to everyone else. And it's so crazy how I could go from Ray Schremer to JPEG Mafia. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And like everything in between. It's it's fascinating how diverse the genre is, but like I love it. And I, th I think it's fantastic because no matter how many people try new sounds, there's always new sounds to try. And there's always unique young artists 
coming up, you know? Yeah. Um, but going back to Kanye West here for a quick second, I don't know what your thoughts are on his recent kind of persona has been like, because, you know, he tried running for president. He had a few rallies, had a, a giant meltdown, not ideal. And then now he decides to just post his, you know, grudges and animosity towards the record labels and managers all over his Twitter. And I, I think that's personally not a great form on his part. What are your thoughts on what has happened with him? Well, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's concerning from a mental health perspective, obviously. Um, that's the first thing that comes to a lot of people's mind is the whole, I, I think the whole running for president thing was, you shouldn't have done definitely a stunt, definitely promotion for whatever's coming, um, which makes me excited as a fan of the music that there's something coming soon, but more concerned as like a Kanye fan, you know, whether or not he's okay. Right. I, I do agree with a lot of what he's been saying about the music industry, um, just about masters. I don't agree with the way he's done it and the way that he's posted his contracts and all that. It's, it's just chaotic. Right. I think if he could do something organized, he could really start helping some young artists. I think today he gave back all of the masters that he owned of all of the good uh, music artists, which was a, you know, like a put up or shut up moment. Like he's been talking about masters. He gave back what he had. That was brilliant. But at the same time, I think it is easy to talk about owning your masters and about how artists need their freedom back when you're a billionaire and you're looking in on the industry and you're not like a young struggling artist. And it's the the same thing with Jay-Z. While I think 444 is, is a fantastic record, it's, it's the same thing when he gives financial advice to young rappers, you know? No, I think that's definitely fair. And like you mentioned with Kanye, obviously now being from at least a, a position of privilege because just four years ago around the life of Pablo, he was bankrupt more or less. Right. But then he reestablished himself as not only a rapper, but like, you know, a business person, obviously with the Yeezy line of clothing and shoes that have been massive sellers across the globe, more or yeah. less. And most of his fortune comes from outside the music industry. Right, exactly. Like, don't make music like that in the or money like that in the music industry. Right, and that's really hard, especially with streaming and streaming revenue. And I feel bad because a lot of the artists that I interview, like some of them, don't even do music full time. They have to have right. supplementary income, and that's that's tough. And that's why it's always like a dream or a goal for them. That's another question I always ask: is what music goals do you have? It's just to be able to do music full time because that's such kind of a luxury to have. And going to what you said about Jay-Z giving financial advice to young rappers, like, yeah, obviously you can do that because you're in a position of power. So it's, it's frustrating. He's doing what he thinks is, you know, a good thing, but in reality, it may not be the most beneficial thing. Right. It, it, it's coming from a, from a billionaire. So it's, it's hard for him to relate to any, you know, young struggling artist. And I, I think it is tough because like you said, you know, people who aren't artists full time, that also kind of encourages like, I want, I want to say like less uniqueness in the music. You know what I mean? Like people just trying to sound like everybody else to get their money. So you can do music full time. And it's like industry plant is a term that you hear a lot. And it is creating more industry plants and kind of like discouraging creativeness in the streaming era, I guess. It's annoying because you look at artists like Migos or, you know, Chris Brown or somebody like that. Streaming has killed the modern album quite literally. Like, you look, at, you look at those artists, like Chris, one of Chris Brown's albums is like two and a half hours. Oh, it, yeah. Oh, uh, it, it's 40 songs and there was a deluxe. 
Right. Like, it's so stupid. Like, do you think the album still has the same values, right? Obviously, with industry plants and kind of fulfilling, like, streaming requirements and money requirements and award requirements. But I, I think personally, like, the album is going at the wayside in the next five years. Like, it's becoming less and less important than it used to be. I agree. Because all of the people that are successful are the ones that are putting out short bit after short bit after short bit after short bit. Right especially now with streaming like Spotify and stuff, but also through TikTok in the last couple of years mm -hmm. with just 60 seconds of audio, you could literally make money in a different way. Like that is how kind of, that's how you have a one hit wonder rather today. And that's kind of what I wrote about is like, there aren't really any radio one hit wonders anymore because it's all shifted to streaming and TikTok and other apps like that. I mean, I, th I think it is interesting, to, and, and it's true. Streaming, I think, is slowly killing creativeness in the music industry. But I think TikTok is going to be one of the most influential factors on rap music for the next however long it's around. Oh, I completely agree. You, you hear it in the sound of some artists like New Sigils, like Drake with Tusi Slide. The way I viewed Tusi Slide was it was like he would have never made that song before TikTok. I think the whole point of the left foot slide, right foot up was to get people to, I mean, it worked, you know, like brilliant, but like the moment Tusi Slide was released, it was like a challenge on TikTok. And I see your point, yeah. I know they were trying to, you know, get the engagement up on TikTok because it is huge. I see people, artists that I'll find that'll have, all their songs will have a million streams and then one song will have a hundred million streams just from TikTok. Right. It's crazy how good TikTok is at promoting these songs. No, and I think that's a point that I also haven't thought about. I think you're right in kind of a sense with like the more dance influenced hook, like it goes right foot up, left foot slide, like that. Like, yeah, now that yeah. I think about it a little bit more on, you know, on the fly, it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe he was having ulterior motives. Like maybe this was all a cash grab. See, and, and to me, the funniest part about that song, when I think about it, like might be a TikTok cash grab, is the fact that he literally tells you every step of the dance. Right. <laughs> There's no way to get it wrong. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that like, it, it did go viral on TikTok. I was looking at some statistics. It was not doing well for like the first week. And then the sound increased so much and people just started using it. You know, big influencers use it. And then... It, t TikTok is going to be affecting the rap industry for however long it's around. Right. It depends because obviously with this new acquisition by Oracle and now President Trump has finally, you know, allowed it to be around. But you're definitely right. I think it will definitely influence the way that, you know, rap is made. Like right. gone are these days of like the three, four or five minute songs. Like song length is just going to keep getting shorter and shorter because there's like the radio is another thing that's becoming done in a sense like obviously right. apple music is sort of the exception because they have like artist curated radio shows obviously blonded radio is a big one um i'm not really sure about any of the other artists that have shows on there but i digress radio is something that just isn't isn't what is helping artists out anymore it's about through, through social media and through being used in various videos and what have you that's how people are discovering music and engaging with it and you're, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Cause a, a TikTok is what maximum 60 seconds. Right. So you no longer need a four minute song to get your 60 seconds of, you know, you have that one line or that one repetitive hook that you know is going to go viral because you just said it and it sounds good. And you know that people will say it on TikTok. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that's, that's what it's going to be about for rappers for a long time.
as, as long as TikTok is around. You know, and I really appreciate like an artist that can make a good album and the craftsmanship that goes into it is not supposed to be overlooked. But at the, the end of the day, if all you're going to do it is with, a, you know, a money mentality, like to Drake, for example, going back to him, it's like, okay, I'm literally going to write out how to do this, this dance for an app and that's how I'm going to make my money. Yeah. Like, th- there's no point in that. Like yeah. if you are not going to write albums to tell a story or convey a message or something like that, like just, just release singles. You're, you're more likely to, you're more likely to be successful that way. And that's what, that's what Dark Lane uh, demo tapes was. It felt like to me, it was just a collection of singles, you know, n- not strung together at all. For as much hate as he gets, I, I think Drake can be a creative guy. I think he can be a good artist. You know, he has been in the past. I think, you know, not a Scorpion fan. No, I agree. And even Views is like bearable. It's not like anything incredible, but I think where he's at his best, nothing was the same. I think that's really what shows off his versatility it's it's, it's yeah because it's like nothing was the same was like a peak and then there was a decline and that was like one of his first records which is the most ironic thing actually one thing that i want to say was more life i think is a pretty solid album oh and even anything like that was another take that i saw somewhere it's like when drake makes r&b music he's like so much better than he is on the rap front obviously songs like hold on we're going home is really good hotline bling is decent passion fruit's really good like those kind of songs I, I enjoy listening to. And not only that, these are songs that he's getting the most revenue from. So it's, it's interesting to me why he takes the rap route sometimes. Like why Scorpion had an entire, you know, I, I forget if it was, a, I think A-side was rap when he split it into A-side and B-side and one side was rap and one side was R&B. It didn't need an entire rap side, an entire R&B side. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's way too long, first of all. Oh, obviously. And that's another thing. It's just like they're trying to, you know, cash in on like, you know, once you've, you know, cleared it, because that's what Billboard included now in like their album streaming list, right? If, if, you know, when you engage with a song for 30 seconds and skip, 30 seconds and skip, 30 seconds and skip, that's why they're packing these, these albums with 25, 30 songs is so that they can get the most revenue from that. Should they change it to, you know, you have to listen to the entire song for it to count as a stream. Should you have to listen to one minute, two minutes, right? Like that, that is a question that maybe could change the way that people release albums in general. But I think personally, like people like Migos, and they're not a group that I enjoy at all, but they have like a decent single here and there. And I enjoy it somewhat, but what if they just released 10 of like 10 of the songs that sounded like that? Like what if Drake just released 10 songs that were like hotline bling or 10 songs that were like, you know, whatever else are some of his popular songs. I feel like I'm blanking right now, but um, you get the idea. Yeah, get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think Migos have a formula and they're always going to try and stick with that. And I think Culture, the original Culture album is solid for what it is. I think it's a good trap album. I think it's a, as far as trap albums go, I think it's a classic trap album. I think Culture 2 is atrocious. Like, absolutely horrible but i i think you're right they they found something that worked they found bad and bougie they found that triplet flow that da 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 and they said let's get as many hits as we can out of that and made a whole 30 song album out of it and it's unbearable right but why that's what i'm saying though like why don't you cherry pick them out and just listen to those three when like the other 22 songs had no purpose whatsoever right right? i mean that's absolutely right and that's what i think culture is that's why I think culture is much better because it, it, it's a shorter track list 
and it's it is like a, a little bit like it is the triplet flow on almost every song but it is like a little bit different here and there and right. that's why the like culture i can't listen to culture too it's 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 like too much <laughs> i've actually never listened to it all the way through to be honest but from from what i've heard you're definitely right it just kind of lacks all sort of creativity which is again going back to my original point why don't they just release singles instead if you're going to lose all of the but even if you look at like an album like a rap album for example good kid mad city is just an immaculate record because it's so densely packed it tells like a coherent like there's a historically black college and university in the south that literally used that record's lyrics as a literature study Right. Yeah. Yeah. That and and damn too. Interestingly, it was a literature study. It was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that storytelling and rap is definitely a declining art. I don't think it'll ever be dead, though. That's I mean, what something you know. That's what East Coast rap really thrived right. on for so long, and it kind of went away in the the two thousands. I think the two thousands honestly is one of the most forgettable decades of rap. There weren't really like that many great albums or ones that I would flock back to, but the ones that are really good are really good. Completely agree. Yeah, I, I think probably the worst decade of rap music. The the overall like layout of it was not great. It was a very transitional period. Very exactly. Yeah, not really too much that I would go back to. Obviously, the college dropout is great. Late registrations, great. Mad villainy is incredible. Yeah. And there are a few like hidden gems here and there that I can appreciate. But like I said, nothing that is right. like wow. This blew my mind. Well, I I think you're right about it being a transitional time because it was you know. The 2010s were such a different genre from the 1990s. You know, so much of the shit that flew in the 2010s would have never, ever gotten played in the 90s, you know, and vice versa. So the 2000s is just caught in this strange transitional time where people are evolving to a new sound and then some people are clinging on to an old sound. And I, I think it's just an awkward period for rap music. Yeah, exactly. Like, obviously, you have the the kind of gangster rap that came from the 90s, obviously big club hits like Into Club, yeah. you know, a lot right. of Nelly's stuff, the game. But yeah. you're definitely right. Like things that were, you know, written about in 2010 obviously wouldn't have flown in 1990. But even an album like, you know, Straight Outta Compton, right, that's one of the biggest exceptions, like so ahead of its time in the way that it wrote about, you know, police violence. And that's why it was so controversial. But if that had been released now, it would have been like celebrated. I mean, obviously, Straight Outta Compton is to this day, but not then, was it? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it, it's a classic album, though. And that's the thing is, like, we, I think we still don't know, like, which albums from the 2010s. You can say what you want, but are they going to be classics? Will we look at them in 20, 30 years? And, like, albums like Illmatic and Straight Outta Compton have just stood the test of time. You know what I mean? And that's I, don't know, they- but I don't know about Illmatic, though. Like, that was one that I was, like, revisiting recently. I think it is a good record, but to be like, it's the greatest debut hip hop record ever, I disagree with. Like, I think it's probably like a strong, like seven to an eight, but I wouldn't say it's like. That is hot. Yeah, that's a piping hot. But I don't know. It's just, there are so many other albums from like the 90s that I enjoy. And like, I think even one of the best debuts would be 36 Chambers by Wu-Tang Clan. Course, from course. from cover to cover, that album is consistent. Like they bring the same energy. I feel like Nas is a great rapper. He's very talented. The production is above average. It's more than competent, but it mm-hmm. just it doesn't really speak to me in the same way that other rap albums did. 
Let, let me start by agreeing with you that 36 Chambers is a, is a better album than Nomadic. Absolutely. And there are better, I, I think there are better debut albums than Nomadic. I think College Dropout, Get Rich or Die Trying are both better. But the thing about Illmatic is it's not special because there are a, a lot of other, you know, boom bap East Coast rap albums, but I think it's boom bap done to perfection. You know, it, it's, it's not unique, but I think it is perfect at what it does. And that's why it's a classic for me because like it, it, it's, a, it's a perfect boom bap album. It's a perfect New York style album. And I think it's just, it, it, it's not unique. You can probably find a, a lot of albums like that from its time, but none of them are going to be nearly as good. I think that's a fair take and maybe something that I hadn't considered. Yeah. That's how I've always felt about Illmatic and kind of Nas's discography in general, because it is a disappointing discography after Illmatic. Right. Like obviously his other stuff after that, not as great. I mean, obviously Nasir was like a decent comeback a few years ago. And then he had this one that dropped a new record, by the way, that just dropped. Right. Um, When was it? Last month? Last month, King's Disease. I enjoyed it. Oh, I'll I'll probably review it. You, you should check it out. It's, it's, it's interesting how he has, um, he has like Fabio Foren's on there, like Don Tolliver's on there. Like, uh, I think Lil Durk is it? Yeah. Lil Durk's on there. Oh, wow. It, it, it's, it's like, I, th- I think it's all produced by Hitboy, And it's, it's like, it, it's, it definitely fits in more with like, you know, the late tens, 2020s rap, which is something that I think Nas was still trying to cling on to an old sound. And now he's kind of accepting a newer sound. And I, I, I really like King's Disease. It, it's, it's probably in my top 10 this year. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Obviously not on the same level as Nas or like to the same degree as Nas, but J. Cole is the same way where he kind of had this older sound and he's been moving on and working with 21 Savage, Travis Scott, Young Thug. And again, I don't think J. Cole's that good. I don't think he's I, anywhere, I don't think it's anywhere near Nas. I'm not comparing the two. It's, it's just interesting to see I, I like how J. Cole is working with newer artists and giving them a chance. Like Guap Dad 4000, I love Guap Dad. He has a very like interesting sound. And the fact that he was on Revenge of the Dreamers was a, was a big deal to me and like a, a lot of newer artists. So I think that's one really good thing that like J. Cole has done. I think a lot of artists are hesitant to do it. A lot of like old head artists are hesitant to do it, you know, but um. I like the way J. Cole and Nas have done it. I've always found those J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar comparisons weird because yeah. I think somebody like Freddie Gibbs, Danny Brown, Vin Staples, Earl Sweatshirt, Howard the Creator are all better artists than J. Cole. You know what I mean? I mean, th- there are some that I'll say and people will say like, are you crazy? Like I say JPEG Mafia is a better artist than J. Cole. I think he has a better discography than J. Cole. I think people are saying that from the position that they haven't heard JPEG Mafia's music. So they're kind of going off what they know and I feel like that's kind of a disappointment because with so many different styles of rap, with so many different personalities, it's kind of silly to say, like, why do you enjoy this type of music? Like, obviously, it could be a double standard, right? Like, you know, you could be somebody who listens, like, to the most, you know, hip-hop head albums and right. just eat people like Lil Baby or Gunna or any of those, you yeah. know, top 40 rappers. Yeah, and th- th- that's why I've really tried to balance out my taste. Like, I'm, I love Lil Baby. Like, I kind of had to get over his voice at first and he is a little repetitive, but I really like his music. And like, I also really try to enjoy like, you know, anybody, like I try to enjoy Freddie Gibbs. I try to enjoy Danny Brown and I do enjoy all of it. Like it's such a diverse genre, but like if you close your mind off to, I'm not going to listen to these new rappers, they're all mumble rappers or, 
you know, why would I listen to old rap? You're not going to get the full range of it and it's not going to be as enjoyable and you're just going to miss out on so much. Like the fact that Kendrick Lamar and baby Keem are collaborating soon. I can't imagine how many, you know, Kendrick Lamar fans who were maybe, you know, who is baby Keem? Like this is his vocal style. So unique it's jarring and people are going to hate it, but you got to at least give the chance, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's a great way to kind of transition towards the uh, end of the podcast. Now, obviously, like, what do you want people listening to this episode to know about you, Playboy Suck, anything about you and what you're doing? Um, I would say never take my account seriously. Pretty much everything I say is a joke. People take things I say way too seriously when I make memes. Everything I'm saying is usually a joke. I, like the ironic memes are like usually the funniest and people are definitely the ones that take it too seriously. Well, like I, I, I stopped posting things like this, but I used to post like memes about like, like Nov. And I would say like Nov has like the best discography of all time. And people would really write like essays in my comments, like explaining <laughs> what was wrong. I was like, it's okay, man. Like I know Kanye is a better artist than Nov. You don't have to explain to me that <laughs> Twisted Fantasy is better than Good Intentions. But I guess what I want everybody to know is just like, don't be closed-minded when it comes to rap. Give anybody a chance because you never know who you're going to like. There you go. Um, and then last question here, like what other like goals do you have for the future? Obviously um, with Playboy Suck, there are some big things coming up for that, just growing the page, but what else is on your mind for that? My goal, my, I would say my goals for Playboy Suck is to, first of all, keep growing. I want the account a little bigger so that I can start really not doing paid promotions but doing promotions for artists and content creators that I think deserve it and that I think I could help, you know? Not, not from like a point of like arrogance where I'm like, oh, I can help you. But like, if you like are like, hey, can you listen to like my mixtape and maybe like put it on, you know, your account that I would, I would love to do that for artists that I think are talented and really get the word out about people. You know what I mean? I would Absolutely. say that's the main goal for Playboy Sock is just to encourage creativity. A lot of people just don't respect each other right now. So if, if we just listen to each other's music, you know. Damn right. Yeah, well, well, listen, Michael, thank you so much again for sitting down. It was a great interview. Had a great time. No, I, I had fun. This is my first ever podcast, so I, I was shaking before, man. I was like, shit, I got an interview, you know what I mean? But yeah, it, I feel you. Like, you run a tight shit, man. It was great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Take it easy, and um, best of luck with everything with Playboy Suck. Appreciate you, man.